This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. You have a copy of the scriptures with you tonight? I want you to turn to the book of Revelation. The last book in the New Testament, last book in our Bible, Revelation. And get chapter 20 opened up in front of you, if you would. Clearly obvious tonight that the Lord is in this service and in this place, and we need not be guilty of, as Pastor described a moment ago, ignoring, ignore any warning that the Lord may be giving you in some particular way. Can I give you some good news, some real good news? Real good news to start off with, okay? Jesus is coming again. He is coming. He himself said it. He said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Can you see him looking at those troubled disciples? I mentioned it, I think, on Sunday evening. As he said to them, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, listen to what he said. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. He's coming again. The apostle Paul, the man who wrote many books in the New Testament, had a pastor friend by the name of Titus who was pastoring a church on a large island called Crete. And there was a a lot of sinful, wicked behavior and activity going on on that island. Some people have called it Pleasure Island. It was a wicked place. And Paul wrote his pastor friend and he was giving him instruction as to how to shepherd the flock that he had there at that uh, church on the island of Crete. And he said to him, he reminded him, You tell your people that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And it does some teaching. Teaching us to deny ungodliness and to deny worldly lust and that we should live godly, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And then he said, looking for that blessed hope The word hope that you and I use in our English vocabulary is always the thing of, oh, I hope uh, you get a raise in pay at work. And it's it's wishful thinking. Oh, I hope uh, that Washington team, whatever their moniker is now, I hope they win the Super Bowl. That's wishful thinking, I'm telling you. And I don't have a lot more to be excited about being from Dallas. It's wishful thinking. (laughs) But when the Bible speaks about hope, it's not "Mm, mm, the blessed hope. I I hope Jesus comes back. No, 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 no. He's coming. It is rock solid truth. There's no question about it. Did you know the Old Testament spoke about the first coming of Jesus? the first coming of the Messiah, the sent one. And anyone in those generations, in those generations of time, had to hear those prophets write and proclaim and declare that God would be sending his son to be our savior, to be their savior. And they had to accept that fact by faith. We now live on the other side of that historical fact, And we know that Jesus, the Son of God, came. And we accept it uh, by faith as well that he came and he paid what we could not pay to a holy God. Our, our, Our relationship with God is only established by putting our faith in what Jesus has done for us. And there was much written in the Old Testament about the Son of God coming the first time. But can I tell you something? Though you and I sit here tonight and and, and you say, yeah, I know he came. And the Bible prophesied it and, and I believe it. Did you know that there is twice as much 
written about the fact that he's coming the second time. I think it'd be a bit foolish to deny that he's going to come. Oh, you may sit here tonight or someone watching online, you may say, I think that's, that's science fiction. I think that's just a bunch of hype. You preachers kind of build it up to, uh, to try to scare people up. Friend, I'm just, I'm just the delivery boy. I'm just telling you what God's word has openly declared. And whenever you turn to the book of Revelation, some people begin to think, oh man, I, man that's kind of uh, it's higher level stuff that we can't understand. No, no, no. You can understand the book of Revelation. Let me tell you how it, let me tell you how, the best way to understand it. If you know Jesus Christ, we win. We come out on top. He's coming again. And the best way to understand what this revealing, the revelation, the revealing of the fact that Jesus is coming again, the best way to understand it is to take it literally. You see, the man who was the human author was moved by God to write these words. He was a prisoner in a prison when God revealed this truth, these truths to him. He revealed to him what's going to happen. It's as if God pulled back the curtain. And he said, John, take a look at what's going to happen and write it down. Write it down. There are several times in this one book where John writes these words. And I saw. And I saw. And he writes down what he saw. God let him know what's going to happen. I could start in this book at the very beginning and try to give you a quick panorama of the study of the book. We don't have the time to do all that tonight. I will say to you that around chapter 6, I believe it's chapter 6 all the way to chapter 19, we learn a lot about what's going to happen to this earth after, after Jesus, the, the, the bridegroom, takes his bride, that is his church, the redeemed, one, redeemed ones, and he takes them to heaven to remove them from this earth. And on this earth, there will be many disasters that will take place on this earth after Jesus removes his church bride. Uh, there will be disasters. There'll be a dictator who will come across as a very kind and gracious and caring man, especially toward Israel for a while, for about three and a half years. And then he'll turn. And then all of a sudden, this dictator will will rule the world with a strong, vicious hand, especially against Israel. There will be death magnified. There will be seasons of darkness. There will be dearth. There will, there will be things such as uh, that, that, that are described in this book as giant hailstones that will fall on this earth. Uh, there will be locusts that will bite men for five months in a severe, horrible way. Oh, I could study all that with you tonight. But I ask you to come to chapter 20 to lock in on one section of what's going to happen. And beginning in verse 11, Notice what the Bible says here is this is actually going to happen someday. John wrote these words, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
Some of you are probably a lot more familiar with courtrooms because of maybe your, your business that you've been a part of or, or uh, one reason or another you have uh, found yourself in a courtroom setting from time to time. My mom worked for uh, our city judge uh, years ago when I was a boy, a young teenager, and I would go in there and I would sit in that courtroom and I'd watch her boss as he would sit in his throne and his throne, his, uh, his chair, uh, uh, above everybody in the courtroom. And he would, he would uh, listen to, uh, the, the pleas of guilty or not guilty and so forth. And I would sit there and I'd think to myself, I don't really like this world. I'm uncomfortable with this world. I don't want to spend much time in this place, but I'd sit there long enough and listen to it. Maybe you've had to go and make an appeal for something that you got called to court for, maybe a traffic citation or one sort or another, or something maybe even more serious. Maybe, and here's something that we all enjoy getting in the mail, uh, you get the call to be on jury duty. Oh, that's a, always a delight. And uh, you're, you, you start thinking, is there some way in which I can get out of this thing? And uh, I actually, uh, about uh, three years ago, had to sit in on a jury. And I was afraid, man, I live in, I'm not home very often. And the one week I'm home, I get called for jury duty. Maybe I'll get out. No, no, they accepted me. And I was on the jury. And I said, my one week home, and I'm going to have to be on the jury. But fortunately, it was a one-day trial and it was over with and uh, and so forth i mean a trial uh, uh of one sort or another can usually make everybody uncomfortable i wouldn't want to be a part of it on either side of the bench on either side the prosecution or the defense i mean it's just it's a world that we don't want to have anything to do with i just don't like it i did some research and i began to discover something that shocked me it really stunned me because just last month there was a person who has been imprisoned for 30 plus years. It was just found out that he was innocent all along. After three decades being in a prison, can you imagine? Three decades of your life in a prison cell. And then for, for the fact that maybe faulty information or a false uh, witness uh, declared something uh, about that individual and they got, they got brought in. I began to do some research. Did you know that since 1989, over 2,500 people, 2,500 people have been found innocent who spent multiple years in prison, declared guilty by some jury or some judge. And you shake your head at that. Now, that's only the ones uh, that a particular uh, group have, have, have made it their desire to help these people who have been declared guilty, who are really found innocent. There are many others who are possibly and probably are still in prison. And then you look at on the other side. There are people who are out roaming the streets declared to be free and innocent when actually they were probably guilty of some particular crime. And you shake your head and scratch your head and you say, how could that happen? I don't understand it. Then, then, then it becomes clear. When you take time to think about it, you know how that happens. It happens because of two words, human error. Judges are human. Juries made up of human people who just listen to the facts. Lawyers, uh, I guess, they're human. <laughs> We make fun of them until we need one. Witnesses are human and they say what they think they saw. In a courtroom of America that I'm grateful for, freedom and justice for all, they're made up of human beings. And decisions are made based upon that and many times human error has declared somebody innocent who was really guilty and vice versa. Did you know that what we just read here in Revelation 20 is a courtroom? It's a courtroom setting. When he called out the throne, he's not talking about a king's throne per se. He's talking about a judge's throne. It is a courtroom setting. A prosecution is declared. A verdict is stated. We're in a courtroom in these five verses, <laughs> six, five, six verses that we just read. But I got news for you. This courtroom, it's not yet here, but it's coming. And there will be no human error in that courtroom. 
Because it's not a human run courtroom. This courtroom is going to take place. Oh yes, friend, Jesus is coming again. When I was a youngster like these kids that we dismissed a while ago, I used to sit in Sunday school and I'd be fascinated when the Sunday school and the children's worker would say, now boys and girls, Jesus could come back at any moment. He could come back at any moment and he's going to rapture. He's going to catch away those who've put their trust in Jesus. And he's going to take them. He's going to remove them out of the way before he brings the heavy judgment on those who've never put their trust in him. And then the teacher would go on to say, hey, boys and girls, Jesus could come at any moment. He may come right in the middle of pastor's sermon this morning. When we leave Sunday school, we go over there. He could come right in the middle of pastor's sermon. As a little boy, I'd sit there and think, wow, that'd be so cool. Right? We'd finally get out on time. Ah, that would be good. One to talk, huh? We'd go home for lunch and mom would have a delicious meal for the family and I'd sit there and I'd just start scarfing it in. And many times she'd say, son, slow down. What are you doing? She didn't know what I was thinking. I mean, Jesus could come back at any moment. I don't know how long the lines are to get more food in heaven. I got to get this food now. Some of you are thinking, that's why I eat dessert first because, I mean, if Jesus comes back. And then my dad or my mom would say every Sunday afternoon, all right, kiddos, Time for that Sunday afternoon nap. I hated those things when I was a kid. Man, I had energy galore. My opinion has greatly changed as the years have gone by. But back then, I didn't want to take a nap, and I'd go to bed, and I'd lay in that bed. I'd get out my baseball cards, and I'd play with my baseball cards, and and then I'd maybe read a book of some sort or another. And many times, my bed was right up next to a window. I'd hear I'd hear somebody flying around in some little single engine, double twin engine uh, plane outside and I'd look out my window and I'd, I would be looking and sometimes I'd see a, a little plane uh, coming out of the clouds and I'd find myself thinking, what if Jesus came back right now? Go right by that guy. And if he's, if he's not going, he's in that plane, I wonder, I wonder if I can wave at him as I go by. Just a child's mind thinking those crazy thoughts. When was the last time you thought about it? You say, well, when pastor just sang that song. True. Last time I watched the news, preacher, I was thinking, oh, even so come, Lord Jesus. Yeah, I know. I know. He's going to be a sudden return when he's going to remove those believers out of the way. But there will be a sober result for those who've never asked Jesus to be their Savior. And that's what we have here. I want you to see as I take you right through this passage tonight, this sober scene. Would you see the sober scene? Look at verse 11. He says, and I saw a great white throne. Stop right there. The word great means awesome. I don't mean like, hey, that's cool, awesome. I mean Breathtaking, eye-catching, totally grabbing, great. It's as if John was saying, I I didn't notice anything else. It captured my total attention. And anybody in this courtroom will recognize the authority of it. Then he called, he said it was white. That's an emphasis upon the unstained quality to this throne. It's pure. It's unsullied by human touch. Because this is not a human throne. This is not a human courtroom. This is the divine courtroom of heaven. He saw a great white throne. The courtroom seat. And then it says, he said, I saw him that sat on it. Him Who is this him that he's speaking of? Well, the Bible clarifies who that is. The him was introduced to us at the very beginning of the book of Revelation. All the way back in chapter 1, John saw the revealing of Jesus, the Son of God. He saw him in his revealed state, his eternal state. And can I just describe for you some of the things that he said about him? Oh, wait a minute. 
The writer of the book of Acts said this about the one who's going to be the final judge. Listen to these words in Acts 17, verse 31 and 32. He said this, Because God has appointed a day, God hath appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained in that He hath raised Him from the dead. Did you hear it? God's going to judge the world in its, by righteousness by that man whom he raised from the dead. We're speaking of Jesus. He's the one on that throne. It says in Romans 2 and verse 16, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. John said, this Jesus that I saw sitting upon this throne. He said his, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. Now wait a minute. Did he say that Jesus was some kind of a grandfather figure? His head and his hairs were white like snow. And he's kind of, and I say this carefully and I tried, I want to be reverent. Was he saying that Jesus was kind of in a Santa Claus state of being? No, my friend. His head and his hair were white as snow, as white as, the, as wool, meaning this, he has always been. There's never been a time when Jesus was not. Nothing has escaped his eye or his attention. He said, I saw him who has always been. Now, Daniel in the Old Testament called him the ancient of days. But Jesus, when he was here on this earth, he said of himself in John 8 and verse 68, he said, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was, because that would have indicated there had been a time when Jesus was not. He was saying, I am. I have always been. You say, you think those people around there understood what he meant? Absolutely. Because the very next verse says that the religious people that day said, you claim to be God, and they picked up stones to stone him. They got it. Jesus was saying, I am God. I have always been. John said, I saw him whose head and hair, hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. He went on to say, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. The idea there is these are judges' eyes. And he was communicating to anyone in his courtroom, I have seen it all. I have seen, I know you, I know everything about you, and his eyes will declare nothing but judgment. Every parent in this room who has children, obviously as a parent, has probably developed what my mom developed. I called it <laughs> the eye. My mom could look across the room when I was doing wrong, and she'd look at me, and that eye was, was communicating I'm watching you. And you're had, boy. I'm telling you, as soon as I get free of this, I'm coming out. My mom would sing in the choir. And Pastor Ned, she, we went to a church that was, was like this, and it was so packed. We finally built a new auditorium that the choir, there was no room for the choir to come down and sit. And I'd, I, my mom would sing in the choir. I think she enjoyed singing, but she could see me better from the choir loft. That's, that's the main reason. And I'd be out there among my teenage buddies. And, and you understand, I never started the problem. You understand that, don't you? <laughs> Kids would start passing notes in the service. Who you think is going to win the game today? And what, what score you think it's going to be? And we'd be passing these notes. Around. And I'd look up every once in a while just to keep an eye on my mother. And every once in a while, she'd be looking at me. And I'd say, oh, no. all of a sudden. And I didn't want to do it, but my body would shake. I'd just go, I would just shake. <laughs> Because of my mother's eye. One time I looked up there and she, she was no longer in the choir. And I thought, Where, where's my mom? And about that time I felt a tap on my shoulder. There's mom. I knew my mom's eye. I thought my mom knew everything. She didn't. But this judge, he has seen it all. No one in that courtroom will be able to look up at him and say, he doesn't know everything. Oh, yes, he does. He has always been. Nothing's escaped his attention. Nothing has escaped his eye. His eyes were as a flame of fire. 
The Bible goes on to declare that his voice is as the sound of many waters. That's the imagery and the, and the wording of many waterfalls. Uh, two weeks ago, I was at a place where uh, I, I got to go see a waterfall. And it was a, a, a large and vast waterfall. And as I stood there with my wife, we had to speak loud to be heard. Maybe some of you have gone to Niagara and I could understand how the sound, the volume of many waterfalls uh, would make it difficult to be heard. You almost have to shout to be heard. What's the Bible saying? The Bible is saying that the judge of this courtroom, when he speaks, no one will be able to say, can I say something? Can I tell you why I'm here? Do I get a chance? You see, It'll not be a human being's courtroom to describe why he's there. This is God's courtroom. His voice of authority will speak. His eyes will penetrate anyone standing in front of him. And the Bible says also, and out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. You know something that reminds me? There's another portion of scripture that our brother prayed about tonight when he said, Lord, we know your word is sharper than any two-edged sword it is and you know a person can come to church and they can ignore the word and I've seen people do it they get occupied with something they mess with their purse or they mess with their fingernails or they look at the floor or they take a nap they do anything that they want to do in order to ignore the bible and ignore his word and you can do that nobody can force you to listen but there will be a day you'll ignore it no more because out of his mouth will come his word. And people will be judged by Jesus and by the gospel and by his word. You will not be able to avoid this courtroom if you stand there. This is a sober scene. You know I enjoy laugh. You know I enjoy laughter. You know I enjoy having a good time with you folks. But I got to be honest. This is a sober scene, and it's going to happen. I don't have the human vocabulary to describe it for you. And he went on to say, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. The earth is that which we put our feet upon, and the heaven there is referencing the atmosphere that's above us, the sky that's above us. It says there that they will, it's the idea of they will be uncreated. They will, they will seek to get away. Why? Because they know the judge, the creator of it all, is taking uh, charge of the entire scene, and they're trying to get away, even the earth and the heaven. This is a sober scene. But not only do you see a sober scene, you see a significant summons. As I said a while ago, we've been summons to courtroom to be jury duty and, and, uh, and we've been summons to, uh, to do other responsibility. Well, there's a summonsing uh, to this courtroom. It's in the next verse. Look at it, verse 12. He said, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. What? Who is it that's going to be called to this courtroom? Does every single person who ever died, are they the ones who are going to stand? It says, I saw the dead. Friends, this is a reference to spiritual death. You see, let me take it to the opposite side of things. Can I do that? Listen to the Bible. I just, I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, uh, this is what the Bible says. And you... Hath he quickened. That old English word means made alive. And you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and in sins. So you see, spiritually speaking, a person, they start life out in death, that is spiritually separated from God, dead because of their own personal sinful life and the trespasses of their life. And the Bible says, and you has God, hath God Quicken. He's made you alive who were at one time dead in trespasses and sins. And he says, but God, who is rich in mercy by, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath made us alive together by, in Christ by faith in him. For by grace are you saved 
through faith. Here's the point, friend. Every single person in this room and even outside this room is either alive spiritually in Christ or they're still dead. You see, everybody born on this earth is born dead because we're sinners. I mean, you're looking at one. We're all sinful being, uh, beings. You say, well, don't you, do you ever sin anymore? I'm afraid so. I've got this old flesh. And one of the great privileges it will be to be in heaven will be, I won't sin anymore. And that'll be a delightful time. But I still have to fight. But there was a day when I recognized I am dead and I am bound by sin, and I am going to be eternally separated from God unless I allow him who's offering me eternal life to come into my life. And when I did accept Jesus, what he did for me, I became spiritually alive. There are people all over this room who know exactly what I'm talking about. So who is it that's going to go into this courtroom? He says the dead, the dead. Then he says they're small and great. Is he talking about stature? Is he talking about the, the short ones and the tall? No. He's talking about the well-known and the unknown. Those who have been well-known because of their uh, uh, prolific writing, because of their uh, big name in the entertainment industry, because of their uh, 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 being well-known through an athletic adventure, or, or they've been well-known in some college classroom, and, uh, and they've written books on some subject matter that be contrary to the Bible or whatever. I mean, these are the well-known, the great, and the small. I saw the dead, small and great. Who are the small? Those who lived in some uh, place where nobody really knew them, outside of the family, maybe even them had nothing to do with them. I mean, just somebody who just got up and went to work every day and did their job, and they're not known. Their name's not in any particular book of who's who. They're just living their life. I saw the dead, both the unknown and the well-known. Do what? Stand before God. Can I break it down for us? Who's going to be in this courtroom? Friends, there will be proud people in that courtroom. That's a part of that dead crowd that's going to stand. The proud. You say, what do you mean the proud? Aren't, aren't we all proud? I'm talking about those people who feel like they're too good of a person to need a Savior. Morris, you say, come on, Mr. Preacher. I'm not that bad of a person. I'm sure you're not. I'm sure you're not. I mean, how dare you ask me, am I going to heaven? This would be a person that if you ask them, hey, friend, if, if you died tonight, if you took your last breath tonight and you, and you died, are you going to heaven? They'd almost look at you like, well, what do you think I am? A murderer? What do you think I am? I mean, some kind of a thief or some sort? And they get offended by even the very question because of pride. They, that's a person who thinks that they're going to earn their way to God. They feel like that they've been a good person all their life and they're going to make it on their own. That may be someone in this room or someone watching online. You feel as if, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm not that bad. And you feel like going to heaven is all based upon what you do. Friends, you could take the very best of every single person in this room. You could take the very best of every single person and pour the very best into some super person and, and kind of put together the very best of everybody into one person. You know what the Bible says about that one very, very, very good person? Their life is like filthy rags before a holy God. Because, my friend, we are of the sin nature. That's what we do. We naturally sin. Everybody does. I have sinned. You have sinned. Admit it. Don't let pride cause you to have to stand in this courtroom someday. I'll tell you somebody else that's going to stand in that courtroom. That's the procrastinators. Those are the people who say, yeah, okay, okay, Morris, I got it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, probably so. One of these days, I, I may wind up in that courtroom. Yeah, that's probably true because I just haven't been religious. Friends, we're not talking about religion. Religious people are the ones who killed Jesus on the cross. No, no, we're not talking about religion. We're talking about a relationship with Almighty God. And you say, okay, okay, okay. I'll do it someday, but I got some things I want to do. There's just some other things I want to accomplish. Can I just tell you? 
You have no guarantee of another breath. You have no guarantee of another day. One car accident, one heart murmuring that stopped, just one moment, and it's over with. Teenage boy was playing baseball. He hit a a grand slam home run. It was a walk-off home run. It was the highlight of any teenage boy's life. He was rounding third base. All the fans and family and his team were cheering like crazy. His coach was there on the third base side as he went by. He was going to give him a high five, slapped his hand. He said, hey, buddy, called him by name. He said, how do you feel? He said, coach, it's the greatest day of my life. Took two or three more steps and collapsed before he ever got to home plate. Happened in the West. It was either Wyoming or Montana several years ago. You have no guarantee. The Bible says, the Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for you know not what a day may bring forth. The writer of Proverbs said in in chapter 29, he said, he that being often reproved, that's another word for being warned, he that being often reproved, but he, he hardens his neck like a stubborn old mule shall suddenly be destroyed. He'll come to death. And that without remedy. I was preaching in a church several years ago and I was almost finished with the sermon. <laughs> and it was packed auditorium. There was a lady on the back row in the, in the center section. She jumped up. I could tell by the way she jumped up. Uh-oh, she's upset about something. Of course, you don't know. Did she just receive a text or a message or, or is she just feeling ill or is she mad at me? I don't know. And, I, and she jumped up and I saw her and she began to step over everybody on her row. And I thought, man, she can't get out of this building fast enough. When she hit the aisle, I thought she was going to turn for the exit. She didn't. She turned toward the front. She didn't run, but she sure came in a hurried pace right down the aisle. And I thought, boy, she really is mad at me. She's coming after me. And she started coming down the front. Well, the building was in a a fan shape, and so much of the building had noticed the motion. And they saw this woman rapidly coming forward, and she came down. And fortunately, one of the associate pastors saw her coming, and he left his seat, and he came over there, and he caught her because nobody knew, what is she about to do? And he went over, and he whispered something to her. She whispered something back. He nodded. And, and of course, at that point, I lost everybody. Nobody was listening, but I tried tried to stay focused and tried to preach and everything but I was curious too and finally he started walking with her off to the side he got his wife and they all that the three of them walked out of the building well I I hurriedly wrapped things up finished my sermon and service was over with I was talking to people afterwards that associate came out and I said hey man what in the world was that all about he said I'll tell you but are you sure you want to know I said well sure I said yeah I want to know he said, all right. I said, what'd she say to you? He said, she, she said to me, I'm ready to get saved right now. And I don't know how much longer that guy's going to preach. I got to get saved right now. I said, she's not the first one who's thought that. She won't be the last. Thank the Lord for that. Now, I'm not telling you to jump up and come forward. We'd be glad to talk with you if you wanted to talk right now. But there was a woman who said, I'm not putting this off another minute. I can't. I was preaching at a basketball tournament with a bunch of teenage boys wanting uh, wanting to win this basketball tournament. And I told those guys, I said, you may be the MVP of this tournament. You may be slam dunking. Most of them could do it. And I said, and you're excited about this this tournament and playing this game. You're all excited about it. But I said, fellas, the most important decision you will ever make is what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? And I said, if you're interested in knowing that you're on your way to heaven and it's all settled, I said, leave the the stands, leave the stands right now, the bleachers, and follow me and the pastor over here to a side room and we'll show you how you could know for certain that you're on your way to heaven. Eight teenagers got out of those bleachers and said, I'm not interested just in winning a game and a tournament and an MVP and a trophy. I got to know. And we talked to each one of them carefully, individually. Friends, they were saying, no more waiting. No more waiting. Who's going to stand in this courtroom? The proud. 
the procrastinators. And I have to be honest with you, there's another person. It'll be the pretenders. Jesus himself said there will be those people who'll say, didn't we, did, Lord, Lord, didn't we, didn't we serve you? Didn't we do all the things you wanted us to do? And he'll say, depart from me. I, I never knew you. These are people who gave their time, people who, who were church members, but they never accepted Christ. They were religious. They never got saved. They had a background of church, but they never went from death to life. They were pretending. All through the years, they gave money, they gave time, they gave effort. They sang the songs, they did all that they were supposed to do. <laughs> But in their heart of hearts, they knew, I've really never accepted Jesus. Never done that. I'm just playing the game. This is going to happen. John said, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And then we see, thirdly, the skeleton secrets. Look at verse 12 again. He said, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The books will be opened. You say, Morris, what are these books? These are each individual works books. Now, if you're thinking, some of you are thinking, I'm a bit confused. Didn't you say a while ago that if a person is saved, it will not be because of, them, of their own works. That's right. Not of works, lest any man could boast that I earned my way to heaven. You say, well, you're saying now there are books that, that, that order, that write down and record people's works. Yeah. For the people in this courtroom. But for those who've accepted Jesus Christ, their works, their sins, they've been washed away. Amen. The Bible says... There is therefore now no condemnation. That word condemnation means judgment. There is therefore now no judgment to them who are in Christ Jesus. But to those who are not in Christ. Accurate, complete, perfect, comprehensive records have been kept. Every lie you've ever told has been recorded. Every item you stole through life, it's been recorded. Every wrinkle you put in your spouse's brow, it's been recorded. Every tear you put in a parent's eye, it's been recorded. Every sermon you ignored, it's been written down. Things you recall, things you don't remember. Every vile, vulgar, foul word ever expressed, it's been written down. And the books will be opened. You say, Morris, why? I don't get it. The next verse says, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead. Death is the place that, that gives up the human body. And hell is the place that gives up the spirits. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. What's going on here? God is going to assign each person, based upon the sinfulness of their life, the degree of punishment in the lake of fire. You say, Morris, there are degrees of punishment? Absolutely. You say, well, is there a good place? No, there's no good place in the place we often call hell or the lake of fire. No, no, there's no good place, but there are degrees of punishment. You say, really, can you prove that? Yeah, absolutely. Listen to what Jesus said to the city of Capernaum that he lived in when he was here. A place where he performed great miracles and revealed who he was to that city. He said, woe unto you, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have, been, it would have remained until this day. Sodom would still be with us. 
Then he said, but I say unto you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Sodom with all their wickedness was destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah, the twin cities of filth, they were destroyed by God in the book of Genesis. And Jesus comes along and he says, it'll be more tolerable for those people in the day of judgment than it will be for you because you have been given so much more. Oh, friend, listen. Maybe some of you attended a school like I did where you sat in a classroom and maybe you're sitting there in class and all of a sudden the speaker in the room comes on, large public school, and all of a sudden you hear the voice of the principal, Mrs. Johnson. Everybody turns and thinks, that's the principal. And she says, yes, Principal Hudson. Is Morris Gleiser in your room? Every eye turns and looks. Those close by whisper, what did you do? (laughs) Yes, principal, he's right here. Send him to my office, please. And your heart goes to your throat. Fear grips you. You have to get strength in your legs to stand up. You almost need therapy to learn how to walk again. You look back as if to say, goodbye. (laughs) And you're walking down the hall, you think, which one did he find out about? What am I about to account for? In this courtroom, there'll be no hiding. There'll be nobody, no place to stand behind somebody else and say, he won't look at me. There'll be no, he probably will only bring up some of the things that I remember. No. It's all been recorded. The secrets will be revealed. The skeletons will come out. I told you, this is a sober scene. The summons of all those people will stand before him. And individually, you'll give account for your life. And then finally, there's the severe sentence. Verse 15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, there was that other book that was written about there in verse 12. The book of life. That's the Lord's book recording all the names of those who placed their trust in what Jesus did for them. My name's in that book. I'm saved tonight. And I didn't deserve it. I don't deserve it tonight. But anyone in this courtroom, if they look in the book, Jesus looks in the book and your name's not written there. Whosoever is not found written in the book of life, it says here, friends, I'm just going to tell you what it says. Cast into the lake of fire. Like a ball player throwing a baseball across the field. One of the horrible torments, and there'll be many in hell. One of the most horrible torments in hell will be He cast me away. No more wanting me around. He totally rejected me. You say, Morris, isn't God a God of mercy? Yes, he is. You say, well, if I wind up in that courtroom, because because I I really just don't want to admit that I need the Savior tonight, or I'm going to do it later on, or I'm just going to keep playing my pretend game. You know, uh, if I wind up in that courtroom, because God is a God of mercy, I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of the court. That's what I'll do. I mean, I'll just say, please have mercy on me now. I should have done this earlier. Should have done it a long time ago. I'm so sorry. I should have done it. Please give me mercy. Now, you listen carefully, friends. There'll be no mercy in this courtroom. None. You said, no, wait a minute, Morris. Isn't God a God of mercy? Yes, he is. Well, then I'll just ask for his mercy. No, there's no mercy in this courtroom. 
You say, well, I, I didn't even, I saw the prosecution. I didn't even see the defense. I know. Anybody in that courtroom, what are they going to say? How are they going to defend themselves? They're guilty and they know it. Or then you say, I'll just, I'll ask for mercy. You won't get mercy. There is no mercy in that courtroom. You want mercy? Best news you'll ever hear. You can have it now. You need to settle out of court. Right now. And say, oh God, give me forgiveness. Forgive me. Give me your mercy. I don't want to stand in that court. I don't want the books to be open. Oh, I want to have no judgment against me. Yeah, yeah. I don't blame you. I'd want that too. Swallow that pride. Quit playing games. And quit saying, I'll do it some other day. That today's the day. I was preaching in the Midwest years ago in a state right in the middle of our nation. And I went out jogging one afternoon. And as I was out running, I, I went running. The, the trail I was on took me through a, uh, a city park. There were picnic tables and swing sets and all the things for families to enjoy. And this trail ran right through that park. And <clears throat> on the side of the trail was a river uh, that was just running through the city. And so I was enjoying the run and looking around at people. And as I did, all of a sudden I came across a slab, a concrete slab in the park. It was right next to the trail. And there was a cemetery marker, a, like a tombstone there. This was no graveyard. But it looked, I said, this is a tombstone. So I stopped. I went over and I looked at it. I saw the name. This was not the name of the person, but I'm just going to say it. I'll make up a name. It said Mark uh, Wilson. I looked at that and I, It gave his birth date and his death date. And the death date was actually two months ago from where I was right then. He had died in April and it was the month of June. This was fresh. And I thought, what what is this? There's a little flagpole there and a bench. I didn't know, so I kept on running. I ran on up the way a little bit and turned around and was coming back to my truck. And as I was coming back, all of a sudden I saw a man cleaning up and straightening up. He was taking a flag off the flagpole. And I thought he worked for the parks department. I came up behind him and I said, excuse me, sir. I said, uh, could you tell me anything about this, uh, this teenager? Because I'd figured out the years he was at least 18, about 18, maybe 19, but about 18. I said, can you tell me anything about this teenager? This Mark Wilson guy, he turned and he said, yeah, I can tell you all about him. I said, how so? He said, that was my son. I said, Mr. Wilson, is it? He said, yes. I said, sir, I, I can only imagine how you're still grieving. I see that he just died two months ago. Yeah. He said, you're not from around here, are you? I said, no, sir, I just am here for a few days in your city. He said, because if you lived here, you wouldn't be asking me questions about my boy. He said, the whole city knew my son. I said, how so? He said, you see that high school over the hill there? And I turned around and I said, yes, sir. He said, he's the best athlete that school's ever known. But he said, he's the best athlete this city has ever had. And I'm thinking this is a a proud dad, and so I'm not going to say anything. I said, really? He said, no, he says, I'm serious. He said he was the captain of all four sports that he played. Football, basketball, baseball, and the cross-country team, track. He said he he filled up that stadium. People came from all over the state to watch my boy Mark play. They figured he'd probably be in the NFL someday. He set all kinds of records. I said, wow. He said until basketball season began, then he packed out all the arenas and basketball gymnasiums. He said, everybody thought if he doesn't play football in the NFL, he'll go into the NBA. He was that good. I said, sir, he must have been quite an athlete. I said, why is this marker right here, this tombstone? Oh, he said, he said, the city put this here. He said, because two months ago, Mark and the track team, the cross-country team, was running this trail that you've been running. And he said, he just simply, as he was the leader of the team, He simply stopped and stumbled. 
And he said he fell right here and died. Oh, I said, sir, I, I'm so sorry. I said, I love teenagers and I, I grieve for what you're going through. And he said, what made it worse was his younger brother was on the team. He came running up and he called his brother, Mark, Mark. And he held him in his arms and watched him take his last breath. I said, what did he die of? He said, nobody knows. His heart just simply stopped. Well, because the man's emotions were so raw, I wanted to be careful what I said, and I didn't want to go out of bounds. I said, sir, did your pastor conduct Mark's funeral? He looked at me skeptically, and he said, I don't have a pastor. I said, oh, okay. I said, how about your your church association? I said, did did you have his funeral at, at your church? He said, I don't go to church. I don't have a pastor. And then he got furious. He said, if you're trying to talk to me about God, he said, I personally will never forgive God for taking my son. I said, sir, please forgive me for upsetting you. I said, I I want you to know that God is good. And I understand you're hurt to a degree. I turned to walk away and my heart ached because I thought if that teenage boy grew in this man's home, grew up, he's, he's probably in hell waiting for the final courtroom. As I walked away, his dad said, probably a little bit out of embarrassment and maybe a sense of guilt, he said, wait a minute. He said, mister, come back here. I came back and I said, yes. He said, I don't know you and I don't know why you're asking those questions, but he said, I'm going to tell you something I didn't tell anybody else. I said, what's that? He said, on the day of Mark's funeral, he said, there was no church building big enough to handle the crowd that came to say farewell to my son. He said, we had his funeral over there in the gymnasium. Packed. People waited on the outside to get in to see his body. (coughs) He says, I'm sitting there thanking people and people coming by trying to comfort us. He said, one of the football coaches came by, took me by the hand, and he said to me something that I didn't know. He told me that he was a, uh, a guy who works in a church working with teenagers. I said, did he call himself a youth pastor? He said, I think that's exactly what he said. He said he was a volunteer football coach. But he called me off to the side and he's told me something I didn't know. And he goes, and I've not told anybody, but I think maybe I ought to tell you because it might be of importance to you. He said he came to the school actually 14 days before Mark died right here. Two weeks to the day. He said he came to the school and he found Mark in between classes and pulled him off to the side and told him, in a room that was empty. He said, Mark, you have the world in the palm of your hand. You've got a future that reveals you're going to be able to do anything you want to do. And he said, that man told me that he told Mark, but it makes no difference what your future is unless you have Jesus Christ. And he said, Mr., I'm not real sure I understood what he meant, but he said that two weeks before Mark died right here, he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. I kindly leaned in toward Mr. Wilson and I said, Sir, if you ever want to see Mark again, you're going to need to make that same decision. He said, I know it. He was calm. He said, I know. He said, my wife's waiting for me on the parking lot. I got to go. So I don't have time to talk anymore. And I said, Sir, can I send somebody to your house? to talk to you about what Mark decided to do and show you about Jesus? He said, yeah, please do that. So I told the pastor I was with. Here was a football coach who just felt a nudge from the Lord. You better go talk to Mark today. And two weeks later, he was dead. You don't know when that final breath's going to be taken. But I will tell you this, based on the authority of God's word, if you reject the Savior, I just told you, based on the words that we looked at tonight, you're going to stand in this courtroom someday. 
And the books will be opened. And those without Jesus Christ will be cast into the eternal abyss of the lake of fire. My friend, don't let that be you. Come to Jesus tonight. Now, come to Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.